Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to continue on with our top 100 games of all time. This week, we are going to be hitting up 40 through 31. So we're in the top half of the games that we love the most. And last year when we did this list, uh, we did a combined list. Again, we've, I've mentioned in the past, this year we're doing separate lists so you can know what each individual one is. It was interesting because last year when we when we did this list, one of the reasons why we combined them is we, we thought there would be a lot of crossover. And as much as there's crossover, I still feel like both of our u- lists are pretty unique. Especially mm-hmm. considering like some of the games that you like that I just don't particularly care for, like the deduction style games mm-hmm. and the rolling rights and stuff like that. So it's it's been interesting. Yeah, a lot of my favorite games are on your list, but they're like way higher. You just don't love them as much as I do. Yeah, that's what we were talking about is if my like lower 50 is like your top 50. Yeah, <laughs> which is why I think we can play a lot of games because you like a lot of the games that I, I love. So you're, you're happy to play them. It's the reason why we make good gaming buddies is because yeah. we like a lot of the same kind of stuff. But yeah, we're just going to get right into it. We're going to start uh, with the number 40. Natasha, what you got? My number 40 is Three Sisters. This is a roll and write game. First, there was Fleet the Dice game, and then there was Three Sisters, and they're essentially like the same game with a different theme. They have since come out with a new one called Motor City and another one called French Quarters, which is based on New Orleans. And I haven't played that one, but I did just play Motor City yesterday, which is a totally different style game. Uh, instead of the pages being vertical, they were horizontal, so you can tell the difference. You know, so different. No, it was. Wow, it was yeah, actually- that's. I mean, it's cutting edge. Wow, like that's. How could you even tell? Like tell the games apart now that the pages are sideways and stuff yeah it, that's what made it so different no it was actually very distinct and unique we're like i think like three sisters and fleet the dice game you could get either one of them depending on which theme you like better and they pretty much play the same even though they have like very different rules depending on the theme but they're the, essentially the same game and i like three sisters just because i like the gardening theme a little bit better although i love playing fleet just as much and then the Motor City one, I really liked. It was a car theme about going around a racetrack, kind of complete these other objectives. Plays very different, does things differently with the dice. Um, really excited to play French Quarters. I heard that one was even better than Motor City from a friend of mine that played both. But um, so far, I really like Three Sisters still. I love this whole series of games. I think they're really unique. They do like a nice, crunchy roll and write a good 45 minute game that feels really big and satisfying with it, with it still being like a small box. Uh, I wouldn't say easy to learn, like it's definitely more complicated, but not near like the level of like Hadrian's wall or anything like super complex. So it's still approachable. It's one of those games that feels and plays bigger than what it actually is. You know, like you were saying, it's still like a good quality experience, good decisions, makes you think about the things that you want to do but still presents it in a in a small package within that 45 minute time frame and then you're kind of just done. So it takes it's almost like Hadrian's Wall is the top end of crunchy roll and write, flip and write, those types of writes. And then this one is kind of like midweight. It's not necessarily super easy or anything like that. It's not like Welcome to where you're just kind of flipping cards doing some stuff, but there's some interesting decisions in the way you can combo with stuff. I do like the fact that there's that little rondelle where you're going around and depending on where the thing lands, different things will happen. Like you'll get water or whatever, so it rains, so you can like grow some additional things, that sort of stuff. I do like that. 
compared mm-hmm. to like fleet. Yeah, and there's definitely some strategy in the game. It's it's not just like oh you can play it any way and, and get points any different way. Like I think as you play it too, like you learn like how to play it better. So I think it's got some meat. It's got some decent meat on its bones for being like a little small, a small box, a small little roll and write. I really like it. That is my number forty three sisters. All right, my number forty is probably going to be higher up in Natasha's list, and that is Coimbra. Uh, so this is one of those games that was by the Italian design group that I've often talked about. And what I think separates somewhat this game compared to others is you're drafting dice and the pip value matters just as much as the color of the die that you draft. So you're thinking about the dice in, in twofold, right? What is the, what is the pip value? So I can acquire different cards um, or different things on the board, and then what is the color? Because then I can advance on the different tracks on the board. So it's 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 balancing the color of die that you would like with the pip value that's on that die, and I think that it makes it so much more interesting. There's something about taking a dice and using it for multiple ways. It's it's not just the die value or whatever. It's it's everything else kind of put together. I really really like that. And this game does a really good job with it. And it was also one of those games that when it came out, it was one of the, I don't want to say it was the first, but it was one of the first that was like, hey, a Euro game can actually be colorful and it can look nice and it can have other <laughs> colors besides brown, you know, like it was pretty. It was. Some people yeah. don't think it's pretty. And I, I, I think it, it, it's at least colorful in that brown. I think it's gorgeous. It's like, oh, I want to play that game just from the looks of it. I mean, it it has good table presence because I think the colors do a very good job with it. But yeah, I don't necessarily think that it just it went to show you don't need a brown color palette to make a good Euro game. It kind of steps out of that zone, which I think, you know, games, obviously games now are doing it more so than they did back when, you know, this game came out. But um yeah, it just it kind of all comes together, I think, in a really cool way with the dice and moving up the different tracks. You're traveling around the main central board. You're acquiring different cards that are going to allow you to advance in different things. It it comes together in a very good way for me. Yeah, I like this game. It's a good one. And if you've listened to the podcast, you will know when she says something like that, that means she's going to talk about it later. So we're just going to go ahead and leave it at that. My number 40 coimbra all right my number 39 is just one this is a word Ooh. game um i've taught to quite a variety of people people that don't play board games it's gone over very well it's a very simple game um you are everybody ha- when you're the active player you cannot see the word so everybody sees a, a really simple word like just a basic word maybe the word is rabbit and everybody has to come up with one word that relates to the word rabbit to try to get you to guess the word rabbit. So somebody might say like Easter, somebody could say carrot, somebody could say like babies, um, somebody could say ears or floppy or, you know, something like that. But the trick is that you cannot have any duplicate words. So everyone comes up with their word, everyone shows each other their words. If there's any duplicates, they get removed. And then you get to see all of the words that people came up with and you have to try to guess what the word is based on the clues they give you. And so it's really fun because if you, you've got to be like, you want to come up with a good clue that makes it really clear that the word is rabbit, but you cannot do something obvious. But if nobody does the obvious clue and everyone gives these really abstract clues, then it can be really hard for the clue giver or the 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 person's trying to figure it out to guess what it is. So like somebody has to go with the obvious clue. 
but who you know and if nobody does then that's hard to guess but if everybody does then like that word gets just you know removed from the words that they have available to them to see what you know to guess with it just it, it just works in every way it hits like we just play over and over we don't keep track of score we just play until we stop playing it's it's just a lot of fun yeah it's normally just like you want to do a couple more okay yeah let's do a couple more and then we'll be done this game's this game's good i i enjoy it quite a bit it's it's always fun it's always a cool meta to figure out who's going to be the one that places the uh simple clue i guess would be the best way the most direct clue and when the first one of the rounds, nobody does it and then everyone does it. And then, you know, people start spacing things out. People can get pretty creative with their cool with their clues as well, which I think is is fun. It's it's a cool party game. I really enjoy this one, too. Yeah, that is my number thirty nine. Just one. All right. My number thirty nine is a game Natasha will never play. And that is Nemesis. This is a this is Aliens, the board game. It it was one of the games that Awaken Realms put out that I think really brought their company to the forefront, and people really enjoyed this game. There's been a there's been a couple iterations of it. I'm cool with any of them. Uh, the normal one where you're actually on a spaceship. The second one that came out, you're I think on a I think you're on Mars maybe. You're on a planet and you're on a space station. So basically, the first one's like Alien. The second one's like Aliens, you know, the sequel. But you're just going around. You're uh, you're playing different characters. In a lot of ways, it's semi-co-op. You're trying to defeat the aliens, but everyone has an objective. What's cool is you you start with two different objectives. One's a corporate objective. One's a personal objective. And then at some point during the game, you have to get rid of one. And when you get rid of one is when you decide, okay, this is the objective I'm trying to do. Sometimes it's, you know, need to destroy the the layer, that sort of thing. I, you need to, you know, make sure the planet, uh, the ship never reaches Earth. You need to make sure the planet or the ship needs to reach Earth. There's a variety of different objectives that you can end up having. It kind of gives me feels somewhat of, let's say, a dead of winter where there, you, you could all be working together to try to save the ship, but all want it to go to a different destination that sort of thing. So there's there's a lot of different play in that. I think the game can be difficult going against the the alien race. The uh, I forget what they specifically call it in Nemesis, but I just really love this game. It's cool. It's big. It's epic. You're you know it's a it's an Amerithrash game. So if you like heavy euros, you're probably not gonna like this game. Like I said, it's Aliens the board game. If you like Aliens, you'll probably like this game. Yeah, I'll never play this. I didn't. I don't think you honestly. Even if you did, I don't even know if you'd like it. Mm-mm. It's just I don't think it's 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 too thematic, which sounds bad. Like there's there's they compromise sometimes rules for theme, and you'd rather have rules than theme. So yeah, yeah. but I really like it. Um, yeah, I don't get a chance to play it that often because it's big and epic. But I, every time I do, it's always a positive experience. So my number thirty nine, Nemesis. All right. My number 38 is Sagrada. So I recently played Sagrada, the the legacy game, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed essentially the same game with some extra rules and different puzzles, and you've got different boards that you're playing. Uh, And I really enjoy playing base game Sagrada or this legacy one. To me, they both have a really uh, similar puzzle that you're trying to solve, which is trying to maximize the amount of points you can get. And you you essentially want to get, you know, 
complete all these different objectives while still like trying to score the most points for your color, just lots of different ways to score points. And you're trying to maximize all of them. And I really like the puzzliness that this game offers. I enjoy using the dice and placing them in there, but I also enjoy the legacy version where you color it in with a colored pencil. They're both a lot of fun. They both feel like they just have this really satisfying puzzle that I'm trying to figure out. And I really enjoy it. It just clicks with my brain. I like, I like the simplicity of it. I know like very, there's very few like objectives I'm trying to get, get go for and I'm trying to complete them all while not ruining any of them. I, I really enjoy the puzzliness of this one. Sagrada is one of those games that every time I play, I'm like, oh yeah, I enjoy this game until it comes to the scoring. And I feel the scoring just falls slightly flat for me because you have those objectives that everyone's working on. Then you have that specific color that you're trying to fulfill yourself, the specific color so you can get points that way. In a, in a lot of ways, it just feels like the scoring isn't as robust as I would like. But I think overall, the entire gameplay experience, I think, is cool. Drafting those dice and trying to put it, it it's it's a puzzle with drafting. If you like puzzles with drafting, I think you'll end up liking this game, too. It's been overshadowed by another game, and that's somewhat unfortunate. I think if it came out either earlier or after, it would be more popular. But, yeah, overall, good game. I don't think it's it's not in my top 100, but it's Do you just mean that sure. the scoring is boring? Like, when you go to score, it's just kind of boring how you, you do it yeah, all? Yeah, it just, it in some ways, I feel like it usually comes down to how well you did on your personal objective because with those other objectives like you want to have specific you know rows and columns scoring certain ways based on those scoring cards um it, so for me it's not exciting it's not you, you're not biting your nails like ooh okay you scored 2 on this you i scored 4 on this you know you scored this it it just i don't know it just doesn't it doesn't feel satisfying it just doesn't yeah, but when you when you do really well, then you just score a bunch, and that's satisfying. Yeah, I I don't know. I just it it the scoring falls flat for me. It just it's doesn't, not I, very exciting for you. No, not really. But I think the games. I think the game is solid. I enjoy the puzzle of it. I enjoy everything up until the scoring. Maybe you'd like artisans because in artisans you score up your own score. Like you each section you score up and you add it up and then you just reveal. So it's a lot less like of a an event. Or in the um base game you like okay how many points did you get for how many points did red get okay you go up red 10 yep. points and you know it, so it just takes like 10 minutes to do that or whatever it takes longer than it probably should it you know it takes half the game length in order just to <laughs> score because you're going through those things i don't know it just it yeah it feels it just falls flat it just isn't exciting it's not ooh, who's gonna win this is a very abstract puzzly game um yeah and you need to know that going into it it's not very it's it's not very exciting, but I still love it. It's still a really good, satisfying puzzle. That is my number 38. Sagrada, don't listen to Bob. It's still worth playing. I didn't say it wasn't worth playing. I just said it's the scoring isn't for me. I still think the puzzle's cool. But you know what? You know why the game isn't as popular? Because it got overshadowed by number, my number 38 game of all time, and that is Azul. Azul <laughs> came out around the same time, and... Azul is a drafting game in which you're placing tiles onto a board and then kind of shifting them over and making a mosaic. So it has a has a puzzle, but I think the scoring in Azul is, A, it happens after the end of each round, 
you you end up scoring and i think it's just slightly more exciting because you can end up screwing people over giving them tiles that they don't want which they can't use which break quote unquote and they go into they're going to cost you negative points toward you know at at the end of the round to score you're when you score points you're going to move a tile over and it's going to score based on how many tiles are adjacent to it it just i think this one just is slightly better i i enjoy the puzzle of both i think this one with the drafting with the scoring and with how you're putting things together i think this one just does it better for me yeah azul is slightly better i agree with that (laughs) okay so there's there's gonna be apparently a lot of that in this episode so let's just go ahead and say my number 38 azul all right my number 37 is uh, one of Bob's favorite games, I'm sure this will be higher on his list, that is the Castles of Burgundy. We have been playing this a lot on BGA, and I love oh. it on BGA. It's so good. You don't have to like set up all the tiles. And I recently played this, uh, the, the, the original OG game, uh, in person, and man, is it ugly. <laughs> <laughs> did I say the game yet? I feel like I said it, but I you guess did, I didn't. Yeah, you did. You said it was Castles of Burgundy. Okay, okay. It is Castles of Burgundy, yes. Yeah, but man, it's, ugly. it's so ugly and i'm like that's why i like playing it online as much because not only is the the artwork ugly it's super busy it's super beige it's it's really really ugly but the tiles themselves are like super paper thin like they they Mm. are cardboard but like barely like they're like thick paper you know i'm surprised they they still held up like i'm surprised they have but man this game is so ugly and the the 20th anniversary edition just as ugly just as busy and then the very brand new one where you have to buy the giant box with the mm-hmm. beautiful like ceramic tiles. Everything mm-hmm. about it is lovely. It's got way nicer components, but it's got that same ugly artwork. It's so busy. You can't tell what the buildings actually do. Like you have to know the game and familiarize yourself with the uh, buildings. There's a cheat sheet, but but they're pictures. So you have to like, find the building, find the picture of the building. It's not like it's super obvious. Like they're not color coordinated. They're, they're, they're just like boring, basic old Euro style buildings that you have to match up. I, it's so disappointing how terribly ugly this game is. And like they've done like two reprints now and they're not any better. It's still ugly. It's still like even that beautiful edition with all like the the um, dual layer mats. It's so nice. It's got nice miniatures for the castles, which kind of overshadow everything, whatever. But the tiles are still busy. They still have the same artwork like come up with new artwork i don't i don't understand this game is so popular why is it so ugly it would be like i think a top 10 game of mine if it wasn't so darn ugly and and the ugliness like impedes the practicality of the game that's why it's so offensive (laughs) i i'm just so mad at this game i love this game it's my number 37 i should it should be a beautiful game like i you're ruining this for me all right i have thoughts i have thoughts about this game um spoiler alert it is higher up because i i love this is yeah i love this game but let's just chalk castles and burgundy up to a lot of missed opportunities the original came out in 2011 okay which is an older game at this point 2011 though it doesn't seem that long ago so it 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 came it, it was dated at the time uh alea who produced it and and Ravensburger, they they at the time this is what they were doing they were doing these brown ugly kind of games but the pl- gameplay in this was so good 
so good. So then they came out with the 10th anniversary edition. And I was so excited because I was like, sweet, we're going to get something with like updated artwork. It's going to look good. Like they're they're going to give it a special treatment because it's, it's such a beloved game. It's the like 16th best game ever on Board Game Geek. They're going to treat it well. And they did not. They did such a poor job. They made the if somehow they made the board busier than it was. They took the buildings, which I had played the game so much that I kind of I knew what the buildings were because I've just played the game for that many. Like I just looked at them and knew. And they came up with new concepts for the building buildings, but then some of them kind of resembled the buildings in the old game, but not the same ones. It was like different. So I just didn't like it. I was like, Ugh. they just it it fell completely flat. They, I don't think they did a very good job with the 10th anniversary. Move forward, Awaken Realms partners and says, you know what? We're going to make a deluxified cool version. I'm all in. My wife was even like, get it. We want. I want this game because she loves Castles of Burgundy. So we got it. We We didn't get the miniatures for all the buildings. We just had the miniatures for the castles. But then we do have the like plastic pieces specifically for all the other building tiles. So they're nice and chunky. But again, it, it's one of those things that the buildings are slightly different from the original, which is kind of annoying to me because I've played the original so much that I know the building. So I have to relearn it. That's I guess that's fine. It would have been fine if it was different, if it was like better, but they just like changed it. So it's just different. Continue. It, it, it was different for the sake of being different, I guess. To your point. So here's the deal. My wife and I recently played Castles of Burgundy like four or five times. And we left it. I'm going to mind you, we left it set up. Do you think I pulled the Awaken Realms version or do you think I pulled out the old 2011 no, version? Did you get out the fancy version? No, it's so we didn't. I, it, 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 there's a lot of pieces to go through. And we were like, hey, you want to play a game? Like, yeah, you want to play a game? What are you playing? I don't know. Like, I'm kind of feeling Castles of Burgundy. Okay. And it was, I, I just grabbed that one because I looked at the other one. I was like, I don't feel like setting this up. Yeah. You have to like pull everything out. But like, so that's what I was torn. Like the last time I had played it, I used, I had the 20th anniversary or the, the, the newer one by Awakened Realms. And it was yep. so nice. It was so much better. Like the quality of the components yes. was so much better. Yes. Artwork was the same. Just as busy. So then when I played this like really like old, like really bad version, I'm like, oh, it's so ugly. Like the components are such terrible quality. But yeah, you don't want to pull out. That's the problem with that. That big, it's too big. You have to take out all the things you don't actually want to play with. You have to go through it all. You have to refigure out how to pack it all in. It's like we still don't have a Castles of Burgundy that I can recommend buying. Like this game is so good. You should totally play it. But I just can't recommend buying any of the versions. It just in the insert in the 2011 version, the Alea version, just it just sucks. It just there's like there's they have an insert in it, but it's the most generic insert that doesn't fit the pieces. It just I think if you could find the 20th anniversary edition, 20th, the 10th anniversary edition cheap, I would say buy it and just because you'll if you're buying it new, you have to learn what the buildings do anyway. And I think of all the versions that one will probably be a the cheapest have slightly better component quality slightly not i'm not saying it's good slightly better component quality than the 2011 version and then you can just you can just i guess acclimate to what the buildings do i don't know and then 
because th- there's other like animal tiles that you you can get, and in the 2011 version, you can actually see the animals. In the 2021 version, the 10th anniversary, I mean, you can you can see the animals, but you're just like, what animal is this? <laughs> in the regular version, you can be like, okay, those are sheep, those are chicken, those are cows. I know this. And then the other version, you're like, is that a, is, did they put goats in this game? Which one did they take out to put goats in this game? Oh, they're sheep? Okay, I guess. I didn't know sheep were gray. It, yeah. Did, you could have done better. It's such a good game. Like, that, it's so, so bad. Good. We still play it. it. That's how good the game is. I love that game. Yeah. It's, it's so, so good. good. So good. All right. Good. Number 37. Love the game. Hate the components. Someday, maybe we'll get a decent version. That is a number 37, The Castles of Burgundy. That was a, I feel like that was a big tangent for a game, but my, yeah. okay. All right. My number 37 is going to be the first entry in what will probably be several entries of the Great Western Trail. Uh, trilogy it's argentina it's the one that i like the least wow i think it's still good there's a couple things with it with the train moving well you're kind of moving and you can you can do some slightly different routes and stuff that i'm not like i'm not a huge fan of the way you're dropping off your um it's not cattle i forget which one is in this one is it sheep sheep is in new zealand sheep is in new zealand either way Whatever commodity that you're dropping off, there's there's different ways to like cut. I just never was a fan of that so much. It just out of all the games, I think this one is my least favorite of the three games. I still really like it. If you asked me to play it, I'd be like, yes, I'm down to play it. But if I had to pick the different versions, this one wouldn't be my first choice. It looks like it's still cows. Okay, it might still be cows. I don't remember. They're just I just I know New Zealand sheep and I know the originals cows. But either way, this one, I think it's still a solid game. I think still it's good. I just, yeah, I just don't like it as much as the the other ones. So it's still pretty high, though, on your list. Yeah, I mean, it's 37 and it could go up. The The problem is it's competing against those other titles. Mm-hmm. That's the downfall now of a of your favorite game being Great Western Trail is now you have two additional. You not only have a new version competing for your time, but now you have two additional games that are have very similar gameplay competing for your time so it'll be interesting over the next few years to see where everything kind of ends up but my number 37 is great western trail argentina my number 36 is our favorite hidden gem downtown farmer's market this is a nice little small box game we talked about this earlier because it is on bob's list at number 58 um the new version how it's kind of busy it's got this the new version is like a pirate theme under the water so it's got this like look of like an uh like more of a thematic game but it is not thematic at all it is completely like abstract puzzly and i love the basic like kid child like a like a board book it lo- the artwork looks like a kid's a, t- a baby board book is what it looks like yeah, it but does, it just yeah. works with the abstract theme of it i i, I like it better than the, the new reprint of the pirate theme um you just you you end up you pick your goals you can pick either side of these double-sided tiles you can pick a hard side or an easy side of objective so this row i need to have three milk this row i need to have three bread and two carrots this row i need to have like no eggs this row i need to have the most milk of all the other goods you know or it could be like six goods or exactly six of the same goods it has very specific goals you have to meet in each row and then you get four more tiles and you line up columns so the columns same same types of goals same tiles you're filling in there 
you're flipping over which side you want to use. And now you've got each of these columns have these very specific goals. And then you just draft tiles. They have one to three goods on them. Um, some of them are the same. Some of them have different goods. And you place them anywhere on that little grid to meet both the goals of the column and the row. And man, it's just, it's such a great abstract, quick game. It plays really good. It, it My son likes it. Uh, so it plays good with families. I think all ages works really well. And it's got this really crunchy puzzle to it that's difficult to satisfy. It's difficult to get it right, but not difficult to play. So it's super easy, but super satisfying. And I think that's what makes it such a, a good quality game. And But it's got the look of a baby board book, you know, like the artwork and yeah. stuff. So it, it, I think it doesn't grab a lot of people's attention. Uh, but I like the look of it. I think it looks clean and nice, and I think it all fits together. It's in a really nice little box with a little magnetic clasp. It's just really nice, small game. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, the Lost Seas version, which is the nautical theme, is it's almost like the two-player games like Patchwork, Targi. It kind of comes in that style box. Funny enough, I like the art box artwork cover the best on Lost Seas because I think it's cool. But for some reason, it's so much more muted, the tiles are, that it just, I like the tiles in Downtown Farmer's Market the best. And what it, it what's interesting about this game is it, it, it plays a decent amount of players, but I'm fine playing it at any player account because it, it's one of those games kind of like uh, a Planet Unknown where... At two players, you have a lot more dis- you have a lot more investment in your decisions because you're able to pick certain tiles and then get rid of other tiles to kind of go against your component your opponent. But it uh, you had it's easier to try. It's I don't want to say necessarily easier, but it can be easier to complete your objectives. So sometimes you can take harder ones, just making it harder to score the amount of points. But at a higher player count, you have less decisions on the tiles that you're getting. So you have to be a little bit more like open with where you're putting, you know, how you're setting up, how you're going to score stuff. It's it's really interesting. And picking those tiles in the beginning is fun. Mm-hmm. You're, the game It almost feels like the game starts before the game actually begins. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because you're making the decisions with those tiles first. And I really like your point about the two player. So it's made for four player, but the way that they have the two player where you are you're picking your tile and then you're removing a tile from the game. So a lot of times when you have like a complete deck of cards or a stack of tiles and you you scoot it down to two players, you're not getting through that whole deck. So if there's a tile you yep. really want, it might never come up. And the two-player version, it absolutely will come up. You're going to go through that entire card. Now your opponent might see that you want it and dismiss it and you're not able to uh, select it. But I think you always have that option of selecting whatever one you want the most. So yep. it, it it's really it does two player really really well. It works really good, and and I really like that about it as well. Yeah, I agree. Good. My game. number that is my number thirty six. Downtown Farmers Market. All right, my number thirty six. Natasha had talked about in previous episodes, and that is Lost Ruins of Arnak. Um, Czech Games Edition brought this game out a little while ago. It 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 was up against Dune Imperium. Um, at the time when they came out, I like Lost Runes better than I did Dune Imperium. Lost Runes has cooled a little bit on me, and I don't know if part of it is I just don't get to play it the way I want. And what I mean by that is we play a decent amount on Board Game Arena. It doesn't necessarily get as much gameplay 
to the table as I would like. And the downfall of playing on Board Game Arena is you're playing it without any sort of expansion content, which is the part that I love the best because it's special powers. Everyone gets this very uh, their own special power based on the you know uh, characters they pick, which I really love. And I love the fact that the other expansions have included different uh, temple tracks that you're climbing up of, climbing up. So it, it makes the game keeps the game fresh. The downfall is it just doesn't hit the table as often as I would like in real life. You're normally playing it online, and again, without those special powers, it just it feels too basic at this point playing without those special abilities. You need to just stop playing it on BGA. And then so never play it at all? No, we could play it in real life. I like playing it. It's grown on me. Although I just played it this weekend or last weekend. And I always do the card strategy where I try to buy as many cards. And it never works for me. Like I never, I never like explore and like destroy monsters. So I don't ever get those points. And so I don't like, like the strategy I want is the cards. And I can never win on that strategy and so I, I, but I've never given up on that and like switch strategies because that's just a fun way to play the game is I really like the card play and like the deck building part of it. And it's such a small part. So I need to like get away from that, but I can't. So here we are. And this is where we are. The, the <laughs> deck building is so much smaller in this game than let's say Dune Imperium. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still there, but it's not, it's not nearly the same level as it's the game it's compared to Dune Imperium. That's mm-hmm. way more about deck building. I like to do everything that gives me more deck building, like draws more cards, like lets me do all that stuff, gets more money so I can buy more cards. Like I do all of that and I successfully like have a really big deck and I successfully play a deck building game and I get like no points for it. Yeah, that you have to be almost selective on the cards you buy. You can buy cards and you can go that route, but you can't make that your focus. You have to climb up that work. temple track. You really have to climb up that temple track. I and think, you have to, to fight successful. the monsters. I, I always hunt the temple track. That's fun. I don't like fighting the monsters. And I never do that. And that, that's what kills me in the game. I played with somebody who doesn't like the deck building, doesn't like the temple track, only played monsters. And they didn't win the game, but they got a lot better score than me just by defeating monsters, making that the huge priority. I've played this game where I've only defeated like one or two monsters and somebody's defeated like five and I was still, I don't think I won. I don't know the last time I won this game because I normally play it with Chris and he's really good at it. It's weird because you can score points in a variety of ways and I think I think if you focus on deck building, you're not going to be successful. If you focus mm-hmm. on I couldn't kill as many monsters as I can, you can be successful and tie that with going up the temple track as much as you can. I think you can be successful, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'd, l- I'd prefer to play it with the special powers because I, I love playing with unique powers and they all feel different and they all do different things. That's the part of the game I love the most. I think this game is good in that it reaches a lot of people. It it reaches people who like to play really highly thematic games and it reaches people who like to play like more Euro-y games. Like a lot of people still like this game because it kind of ha- has both of those, which which I think is what makes it good and unique. I agree. My number 36, Lost Runes of Arnak. All right. My number 35 did not take us long at all to get there. It is the game that is only slightly better than Sagrada. My Bob's number 38, Azul. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Yeah, it didn't take long. We're in the same section here. I really like Azul. I really like all of the versions. I, I will gladly play any of them. Uh, I think the OG is probably my favorite, although I do really like the King's Garden. I like the Summer Pavilion, and I still like the the last, the second one. 
artisans one. I just, they all have that same mechanic where you're grabbing tiles, taking all of the one tile off of the lot and then placing it in one section of your board and trying to score the most amount of points. It's very abstract, very puzzly. Um, it, but it, the rules are simple and it, it just works. All the additions work. It's quick to play quick 45 minute game plays across lots of different people. Uh, we'll enjoy this game. I can play it with my son a lot. It's the most I've played it with is my son. We have a lot of the different variations that we play. I really don't have too much more to say about it other than it's just a really great solid game that I think really belongs in just about everybody's home. Like I think this could should be what's replacing mass market games. Like this is a great mass market game that a lot of people could get into and play. I agree. It's up there. Yep. I agree. My number 35, Azul. All right, my number 35 is Blood Rage. So this is probably going to be the highest of the Eric Lang stuff on my list. Uh, It's fallen down a little bit, uh, partly because nobody wants to play it with us, which is a shame. Because I have a a version that I've painted, and I'm pretty proud of how it came out. I've brought it to gaming events for the past, like, two months. And every time I bring it up to play, like, nobody just wants to play it, Uh, which is unfortunate. Uh... Yeah, so this is a dudes on the map game. It involves drafting. In the beginning part of the round, you're going to be drafting different cards, and that's going to develop your strategy. There's a variety of ways you can score points. You can score points by winning battles, defeating other people. You can score points by uh, your characters dying and going to Valhalla. You can score points by you know uh, completing quests. There, there's a variety of ways to score points in this game, and you develop your strategy through the draft, which I really, really enjoy. And it's a dudes on the map game that, you know, people are going to get in there and you're going to have, you're going to be fighting over these different areas that you're trying to pillage and climb up these different tracks and everything like that. I think it's just a very smooth game overall. Dudes on the map games don't tend to be very smooth. I think this is one of the ones that I think is quite smooth as a matter of fact. Um, Yeah, I really like it. I mean, this is an Eric Lang game. It's my, probably my favorite of his. It's, It's solid. It is a very good game. And you're right. Nobody wants to play it with us. They're like, I'll play it, but not with Natasha and Bob. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd play it if you guys weren't playing it, which is, it sucks. And part of it is it just because you need to know the cards. And if you don't know the cards, it's hard to do the draft in the beginning part of the game. Mm-hmm. So newer players are going to be at a disadvantage to players who have played it a bunch of times. Yeah. It, it, like, when I, the first time I played it, I got destroyed. Like, people lapped me in my score. You know? It just, it's hard. Yeah, you need to you you don't know what the cards do until you start going through them. Yeah, and you only, you're only going to see a small part your first game. So. And you see the first time you play, just try to play with people who haven't haven't played either, and then you'll be fine. I agree. All right, my number thirty five, the Rage of the Blood, which is Blood Rage. <laughs> All right, my number thirty four, Bob made me play, and I really enjoyed it. This is Pulsar twenty eight forty nine. Yes, I got it right because it's written down in front of me. Otherwise, it's a very abstract number, like with no meaning. I'm, I'm completely offended by the title. I would rather just be called t- Pulsar Future Date or something. I don't care. Just, or just Pulsar, like Pulsar Future Sci Fi 20,000. Generic, 20, generic future generic, game. Yeah, like uh, it's such a random number that bothers me. But, anyways, this is one of those games, like a lot of his games, that you get very few actions and if you're not smart like you're gonna you're gonna end up being 
doing nothing with those actions. You got to be clever and you got to find those secret ways to get extra actions and extra things that you can do. It's you just get two actions for each turn. You're kind of putting out these pulsars to earn victory points. The way that you're going to score points is going to vary each game. Um, there's lots of different thing, ways you can go about getting points and you kind of want to focus that based on the objectives of the game and the, the end game scoring. Uh, it's a pretty heavy game. It's, it, but what, what really makes it shine is the dice, the way that the, you roll these dice and they get placed out and you always want high dice, like the high dice is always better, but it comes at a price. And the way that, that they manage that where you pay for those higher dice is really, really good. And sometimes it's not as expensive. So that's when you kind of jump on those. And it, the way that the dice plays out, I think, is really what makes this game shine. Yeah, the the initial draft, you think it, it goes back to the Coimbra example. You're thinking about more than just what the dice value is. You're thinking about what you're giving up to do that thing. You're either giving up turn order, which is big, or you're giving up you know energy cubes, which allow you to do additional dice. So, it, like you said, those big those big numbers come at a cost. Yeah, and then that just gives the game so much tension that I love. Yeah. So if you're looking for a nice, heavy, um, very thinky game with a lot of good tension that does dice really well, I recommend my number 34, Pulsar 2849. Good luck remembering that. Yeah, it the game. Yeah, it's a pretty generic title, but solid game. Um. All right, my number 34. We actually just talked about how this got compared to Lost Ruins of Arnak. It's Dune Imperium. Um. I like it slightly more now. Dune Imperium is slightly easier for me to get to the table because there's a variety of people who still enjoy playing the game. It blend. It has a good blend of taking deck building and Euro mechanics and then mixing it in with uh, combat where you're trying to uh, specifically win certain things. There's a lot of tension in this game. I'm always trying to figure... like. I'm always concerned somebody's going to take the spot I want to go to because if you don't buy cards correctly, you won't be able to uh, do the things you want to do. So the way this game kind of works is the cards are going to have multi-functions. Uh, multi, the cards are going to be multi-purpose, so you can play a card down in order to place a worker down, and there's going to be different icons, so you can only go to the spots that have those icons on it. If you don't have that icon, you can't go to that spot. So you're trying to buy cards that allow you to go to the action spots you want, but are also good, you know, if you don't use them to place a person out when you do your reveal portion of the thing, you can end up buying additional cards and the 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 cards that you have will give you money or they'll give you combat towards uh, you know, the skirmish on Arrakis, that sort of thing. The more I've played this, the more it's grown on me. We've played it recently with both expansions. There's a lot of different content with it. Again, you're having special powers, that sort of thing. I think it does a really good job of blending the combat focus, like a Marathrash kind of game with Euro mechanics of like deck building and worker placement and putting them together, still creating good, meaningful decisions based on the mechanics with a little bit, I don't want to necessarily say luck. There are some sneaky things you can do when it comes to combat. You're not always relying on, let's say, die results to see. You can you can put yourself in a position to be successful based on uh, intrigue cards, which I like. So I think it I think it does everything good. And I'm always, the entire time I'm playing it, I'm like always nervous because you're trying to get to a certain score to win. And I'm always like, 
when is this going to is somebody going to take this point away from me that sort of thing this game is cool on me i don't i don't know i just don't seem to grasp it very well i don't like the entry cards they're very random sometimes they're like oh a victory point which is huge because you only need 10 victory points you know to trigger the end of the game so if you have that if you're tied with 10 and you have that card that will win you the game opposed to something that like gives you five spice that you don't need or something totally random I don't know. I, I This game's cool on me. I don't really like the deck building part of it. I haven't figured out how to do the combat part. Like, I just, I'm not good at it. I've been in positions where I'm like, oh, I have a worker and I can't even place it. It's a good game. It is a good game. I just, it, I struggle with it a lot. So it has fallen off my list. But I still understand why people like it. It's still a solid good game. It's just, it's I the only game you've ever flipped, uh, flipped, uh, I have flipped the table. Yes, it was very, it was very dramatic, and it was a lot of fun. I was doing so good, and I thought, like, man, I got a chance to win. And Chris is sitting over there, like, not even sweating. I was like, I know he was gonna win. Yeah. And then we get to the not end, and he flips over two, like, an intrigue card with like two points or two, in, uh, like, three points at intrigue cards. I was like, seriously, and I took the the board and I flipped it. It was so dramatic. It was, it was so satisfying, and highly recommend doing that at least if you once get a in chance life. to. Yeah, All right. At the right the right circumstances. We had already figured out score. We knew he won. <laughs> so it was, it was time. It was, it was acceptable game. to do it. Uh and when's the time to flip the board when everyone has finished scoring? Anyway, my number thirty four, <laughs> Dune Imperium. All right. My number thirty three is a classic. It was on Bob's list at number fifty five, which shocked me. This is Ticket to Ride. A classic game that belongs in everybody's home. Whether or not they play board games, this is the quintessential board game that everybody should own. It would be my number one if I made that list. It is Ticket to Ride, and man, this game is good. We've been playing the the Legacy one with the family. It's been a lot of fun. I love Ticket to Ride. I love all of the versions. There's some small ones now. They're not quite as good. Like They don't have quite as much tension as like the big one does, but it's still a fun, quick way to play Ticket to Ride. There's like a gazillion expansions now. And man, I just, I like all of them. I like playing it. Every time I play it, I'm like, man, this game is good. It just does not get old for me. Um, I have taught kids. I've taught families. I've taught people who don't play board games. It is always goes over well. There is only one person on this planet that doesn't love this game. And man, they are wrong. You know who you are. You know who you are. I don't think that they're real, a real person, clearly. Um, so <laughs> they're not a real person. <laughs> <laughs> it is possible that people don't like this game and i understand like maybe gamers are like oh it's kind of simple but i think it's just got so much tension and it's still fun yeah I, I, yeah i recommend this game to anybody uh my number 33 ticket to ride i don't know what else there's to say about it i mean it's so good i i taught my parents ticket to ride over christmas and i was actually just talking to them and they're just like hey we need to play that game again oh, so yeah, that's just goes great. to show it's the one game that I think I've only ever had one person tell me they didn't like it after after they've played it. So, yeah. Yeah, great game. Super good game. Uh, right. We are on 33. So my number 33 favorite game of all time is Anachrony. This is a Mind Clash game. It's the one that kind of, again, put them on the map for the different games and everything that they did. This is a worker placement game, but it involves a lot of time travel. And the way the time travel part works is you can borrow resources from yourself from the future, and eventually you need to pay them back. If not, you can create anomalies, which are going to be negative things that happen to you. 
It's it's big. It's got a lot of things going on to it. Mechanically, the game for the most part, I think, is pretty simple. I don't think there's anything as far as the basic worker placement stuff that I would say is truly cutting edge or innovative, but the way it kind of they've taken all these different things and put it on there that I find very interesting. So for example, with workers, there's going to be worker spots available on your own player board. Then there's going to be worker spots available on the main board. In order to send a worker to the main board, they need to have a mech suit because they're going out into a wasteland that is hazardous. And you have to make the determination of how many suits you power before you actually take actions. So you might end up powering up three suits and you only place two workers out. So you're you're using these you know resources that are scarce to do these things and then you're not going to have that resource moving forward. I really like this game. I think it does the time travel kind of aspect the best out of all the games that I've played. Not that there's a ton, but I really like the fact that yes, you can borrow and if you don't pay back, you can create an anomaly. It doesn't necessarily always happen, but eventually it could. The further and further you go without paying, the the more likely you're going to get an anomaly, which is going to put negative things on your player board. This game, um, I wish in some ways was easier to get to the table because I now have the same problem with this as I kind of do with, let's say, the new Castles of Burgundy. It's in a big box. I have all the content, which is so much content that I'll never get through. And I to every time I look at it to set it up, I'm just like, man, I have to go through all the stuff and find the content specifically for the version I want to play. So it just becomes a daunting task. But I still think the game's excellent. This is one I would really like to play. I think I might like it. Honestly, I think you would too. I think you there are some dice you're rolling specifically for the anomaly piece, but you could go the whole game without borrowing from yourself. You really could. I don't know if it would mm-hmm. necessarily be good or whatever, but we should get to this this to the table soon. I'd it's be just happy a little, to do that. It's just a little intimidating, which is why I haven't played it. But yeah, yeah. If, if you want to play it, I'd be happy to. All right. I got you. My number 33, Anachrony. All right. My number 32 is So Clover. This is a, another word game but done by the same people that did just one. I like it a little bit better. So you basically have a grid of four words, or sorry, eight words, two words that are adjacent to each other. So two, 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 and two. And you need to come up with one word that combines, that relates to both of these two words. The words are printed on a card, a square card with four words on each side, one one on each side of the card. So you write your word on there and then you take all the cards, mix them up, add one more random card off the top of the deck, and then you give it to the your other players that all the rest of the team is going to try to figure out which two words coordinate with a word that you wrote down on this board. Um, and you you ended up using like two sides of each of the word cards. So one of the words is on the top and then one of the words is on the side. And so sometimes they're not as obvious, but one of them's really obvious and the other one's like, okay, that kind of makes sense with that word. So it's just a nice little puzzle that you're trying to figure out which words go with which one. It, it's very similar like to code names in that line of thinking where you're trying to relate words to other words. Uh, I really like this. It says like three to five or three to six, but I play it two player all the time with my son. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great game to end the night with where you just kind of want to do something fun, not, not super heavy and and thinky people first time they're playing it. They always struggle like, Oh, nobody's going to get this, but you're surprised. Surprisingly, it kind of, it kind of all works out. People can usually get your clothes. This is one of those games that I think is actually slightly better at lower player counts. 
I think once you start getting up in the higher player count territory, it just there's too many people trying to make decisions as to where the words line up. So there there tends to be people who get left out. So I think three is actually a really good number because then you have two people kind of discussing where the th- you think the words are going to go. But it's it's a party game that I think plays better at lower player counts. It's still cool and still fun. I still enjoy it, trying to figure out where those words go. But I I do think it's better at lower player counts. That is my number 32, So Clover. All right, my number 32, I'm pretty sure Natasha has already mentioned, and it was one of my favorite games that came out last year, and that is Wild Tiled West. Mm-hmm. So this is a polyomino game. You're rolling some dice, and the dice are de- going to determine which polyominoes you can draft from. It It takes the idea of you know, placing polyominoes and and twist it slightly because you're normally trying to fill in your entire board with this game. You will not. There's no way you're going to be filling out your board, but there's so many different ways in which you can score points. You can, you know, be, uh, you know, you can wrangle fields, you can shoot bandits, you can get different uh, end game scoring things. You want to try to cover up as many horseshoes that are on your board as you can. All the basic boards are all somewhat unique, but then you can flip them and then you're going to have advanced boards that are going to have special abilities. Sometimes they're pretty basic, like get this type of building at the start of the game, or, you know, every time you do this, something happens. So I think they did a very good job of putting a lot of content in the box to help the game continue to be fresh for people. And I've played this a decent amount already with my wife. She really enjoyed it. I the artwork goes a really long way. You know, animals as people is always kind of funny. They just, the artwork's good. It just, yeah, it's a, it's a solid game. And Direwolf, again, put out Dune Imperium. They're, they're putting out these games and I think they're spending a lot of attention to one game. They're taking the route of like a Days of Wonder where they don't put out a lot of titles a year, but they, what they do put out, I think they, they invest time and energy in, or at least that's how it feels. And this game's no exception, man. Good game. I'm glad I picked it up at uh, Gen Con. Yeah, I, I really like this game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. My number 32, Wild Tiled West. All right. My number 31, Bob, you also taught me this one, and I do Ooh. really enjoy it. That is Grand Austria Hotel. It is a uh, dice dice game where you have a slew of dice, and you're drafting the dice and being able to do different actions with different dice, depending on how many dice there are in each each um section there you know if there's a bunch of threes you'll be able to do the three action a bunch of times or at a higher ability uh the way it plays is really good it's a it's a little heavier game it's really tight economy there's lots of really good choices that you're making sometimes you really just want some coffee or wine and nobody rolls those dice so that can be really frustrating but there's a lot of different ways to mitigate that it it plays really good um at lower player counts Bob will not play it at four, which is fair because it is long. There's a lot of thinking involved. And, and if you play with people that think about all the different options, it would take even longer. But I still really like it. I tend to play it at three with people that play quickly. I'll play it at four if it's online because then I can just walk away from it. But mm-hmm. if it if you're talking in person in real life, never. I'll never play it at four. I barely, you would have to convince me to play it at three in real life. But because you play it online so much? No, it it's because it just it's there's a lot there you don't do a lot on your turn, but you do a lot on your turn. In the in the start of your turn, you're you're taking basically a guest. You can take up to one guest 
and then you take die and you do whatever actions associated with the die. But it's like, all right, I take this guest, I put it here. I'm going to take this. It's going to give me this coffee. So I'm going to put it in this. This allows me to prepare two rooms at cost. All right, I'm going to prepare these two rooms. It's going to cost me this amount of money. And then now that I have those two rooms prepared, I can, you know, uh, put this person in there, which allows me to get another guest at a discount. So which guest do I want to take? There's a lot of little things that you do. So as, as, as simple, quote unquote, as your, as your actions are, they're in depth and a lot of things happen and it's a snake the way you take action. So if you're first and you're playing at three players, then you're going to pick at six. So you take your turn, you get up, you walk away 15 minutes later, you can come back and take the next turn because that's just how long it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Because every action that you're taking does involve some thinking. So each, but everybody's turn can take a while. Yep. Fair enough. Still a great game. I recommend playing it. If you're going to be learning the game, playing it with other people that are also learning. If you play it with people who are really good at it, you're going to struggle. It's, it is a thinkier game. Don't play it with people that are prone to AP. My number 31, Grand Austria Hotel. All right. My number 31 finishing out this episode is Teotihuacan, City of the Gods. Um, I guess I just don't. We None of us pronounce it correctly. That's fine. That's fine. You know who you are. Who likes to give us... A little little jab about how we say that. Teotihuacan. Whatever. Yeah, so this is a game where you're moving around the board in a rondelle kind of style. Uh, You have dice, but you're not actually using those dice to roll. You're using those dice and you're advancing it as you're taking actions. You're increasing the pip value. Eventually, once it hits six, it quote-unquote ascends. It gives you uh, access to something special. You get a little bonus and it resets at one, starts at the board, and then it's going to start going around. The higher the number is, the more you get out of the action spot. So, for example, if you have a five and you go to the wood spot, you could get three wood in a co in a cocoa. If you're at a one, you could get just one cocoa. So, the higher the numbers, obviously, the more you get. So, you want to manage how high your dice are getting. You can get multiple dice in a spot, giving you access to again more stuff. Like if you had three fives in a spot in the wood spot, you could get six wood and three cocoa. So you, you're constantly monitoring where your dice are at in terms of their value while you're moving them around the board. You're going to be scoring points by building the temple in the center, going up different uh, tracks. You're going to be scoring points by, um, you know, ascending your dice by moving up this, you know, City of the Dead track. Um, it just, it it's a really interesting game. I really like how you're using the dice to tick them up. Natasha thinks this game is super fiddly. I disagree. I, I, but I hate that the word dice is used in this game because it is not a dice game in any way, no. shape, or form. They use dice as as only as a unit of measurement. They Correct. could you literally use anything else. They could use a stack of cubes. They could use um, a, tra- a tracker that you go one, two, three, four, five, six. Like it is not a dice game. You do not use the dice in any special way. It is a worker placement game where each of the workers are numbered. You could use workers that are numbered one through six. That would be just as fine. Dice is used as a randomizer. It is not used as a randomizer. It is simply a number tracker. It is not a dice game. Just need to say that. The game is fine. It's it's actually a really good game. It's just a little too fiddly for me. I don't like the cocoa. You have to have cocoa to go into a spot. You have to have cocoa to leave the spot. You got to make sure you count your cocoa. It's just a lot of cocoa transactions, and it gets a little bit much. Other than that, the game is solid. I would recommend playing it online over in person just because of the fiddliness of it. Super fiddly. I don't think I don't think it's that fiddly, but 
I guess I can see what you're saying. Playing it online, I think, does alleviate that problem, but I don't think it's nearly as fiddly as you make it out to be. But I still really enjoy this game. I think it's fun. The expansions, again, give you special powers. Anytime that I can feel unique in a game, have my own special power that I can try to exploit as best as I can, I'm going to like. So yeah, that is uh, my number 31, Tia Tawakin, City of Gods. Well, thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please help us out by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook. And send us any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.